Hi, it's Mark Raven. This is Chapter 4 of Practicing Lean. Today's contributing author is someone who's been a friend of mine for, I don't know, maybe 10 years now, Mike Lombard. Uh, when we first met, Mike was living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He was working uh, in manufacturing, and, and he was desperately interested in getting involved in healthcare. And what well, he, he, he made that transition. He ended up working at a couple of uh, local health systems in the area. He's become a healthcare executive and has moved to different states. He's out in California now. So his bio from the audio, audio book here has gotten a, a little bit out of date, but I hope you appreciate Mike's perspectives. Um, again, this, uh, this chapter and all of the other chapters, except for uh, the upcoming chapter five by Paul Akers, that's, that one's read by, by Paul and, and the energy only Paul can provide uh, to his words. But the, these other chapters, including the last one and, and Mike's chapter and, and the next ones, were read by uh, Sam Lee. So I appreciate her volunteering and um, getting involved. Uh, she really initiated the audio book. So you know, to, to thank her for her efforts and, and all the contributors. We are donating all of the proceeds again to the Louise H. Batts Foundation. Um, to learn more, you can go to louisebatts.org. And if you want to learn more about Practicing Lean, the book, if you want to buy the book as a paperback or uh, an ebook, or if you want to buy the audio book, again, 100% of proceeds are being donated, you can go to www.practicinglean.com. Now here's the intro to Mike's chapter four. Chapter four, Michael Lombard. Michael Lombard, MBA, PMP, is a seasoned leader in lean healthcare, currently serving as chief executive officer of Cornerstone Critical Care Specialty Hospital, of Southwest Louisiana. He has a track record of helping hospitals and other care providers radically improve performance through continuous improvement. His specialty is enabling leaders from the front lines down to the C-suite to develop strong lean management habits through proven coaching techniques. Above all, Michael is a lifelong learner, always looking to apply lessons learned at work and at home as a father and husband. You can find him on Twitter as at Mike Lombard. Into the learning zone of parenting. I'm just going to let you find out for yourself. That was the answer given to me by a great mentor of mine, Mike Rother, when I asked him if he could share any lessons learned from raising his daughters. That was in mid-2014, about one month prior to my first child, Isabella, being born, and I was quite curious as to what I should expect from parenthood. Upon hearing his coy response, a smile of satisfaction came across my face, and I thought to myself, enjoy the learning zone. Enjoy the learning zone? What is that, and why did I think of it at that moment? Shouldn't I have been a bit frustrated by Mike's inconclusive response? Well, at any other time in my life, I might have been. But because of my lessons learned from practicing lean the past ten years, I realized Mike was actually doing me a huge favor. But before I explain, please allow me to go back in time to eight years prior to this conversation. 2006 to 2010. Discovering lean, practicing lame. The first time I ever heard about lean was in early 2006, while I was working as an executive trainee in a manufactured housing factory. The general manager of the plant handed me a copy of Jeffrey Liker's book, The Toyota Way, informed me that he had enrolled me in a three-day lean training course, and told me to come back in a month ready to teach lean to the entire leadership team. We figured we'd be able to roll out lean within a few months or so. Yes, please feel free to chuckle now. As adorably naive as we were with this endeavor, reading Dr. Liker's book was actually a life-changing experience for me. 
Even as a recent graduate of a decent business school, I had never once even heard of Toyota's incredible success story, much less anything about the Toyota production system. But the principles and philosophy espoused in this book resonated with me deeply, way down in my bones. With my mind sufficiently blown, I went to the three-day training and learned all about the tools of Lean. Newly armed with all these Toyota Way principles in a Lean toolbox, I was excited to get back and teach it to all the folks back home. Everybody's going to love this stuff. This was when my first great lean lesson was learned. The fact that something is self-evidently awesome doesn't mean that anybody will care. When I returned to my factory, I put together a pretty darn good training course, successfully delivered it to every leader in the organization, received great feedback, and even facilitated a few successful 5S events right after the training. Like many lean newbies, we thought training with a simulation was a great way to get people fired up and whatnot, and we thought 5S was the obvious right way to get started because it's fairly easy, inexpensive, and visually impactful. Unfortunately, training and 5S are meaningless without purpose. In our haste to get started, we failed to take the time to understand the overall direction in which we were headed with lean, or to communicate the link between practicing lean and achieving our top business challenges. Perhaps we just thought that if people were exposed to such a powerful and obviously awesome concept such as Lean, our leaders would naturally jump in with both feet. That didn't happen. Instead, most members of the leadership team only participated in Lean activities when participation was mandatory. Some actively and even loudly resisted it. I can neither confirm nor deny that there might have been a shouting match or two about Japanese versus American pickup trucks. Only one or two leaders really saw the potential of Lean. But even those few early adopters were just using Lean as a point solution for specific issues on the shop floor. Even though we achieved several pockets of success with 5S and other shop floor countermeasures, we always struggled to translate those localized wins into results that made a difference at the strategic level. This made it really hard to build the case for Lean to be the way we ran the business. What was the purpose of Lean? But here's the kicker. When the corporate head of manufacturing visited our factory one day, He liked what we had done with 5S so much that he promoted me, at the age of 27 and with exactly one year of lean experience under my belt, to be the corporate head of lean deployment. Are you chuckling again? As one might imagine, I was a bit overwhelmed. Not really knowing what to do, I stuck to what little I did know I could execute successfully. That's right, good old lean training and 5S. We hired a professional trainer this time and delivered an awesome four-week educational program to all of our lean managers company-wide. Then, we established a requirement that all 14 of our factories had to implement 5S in every department by the end of the year. Uh Uh-oh. I traveled non-stop for a year doing training and facilitating 5S events, but it felt more like pulling teeth. And it was mostly for nothing. Again, we had failed to understand the overall direction or challenge that lean was there to help us achieve. We were once again hoping that people would magically love Lean once they experienced it for a minute or two. The only difference was that, this time, we had support for the initiative at the senior-most level of the company. That helped initially, but ultimately didn't make much of a difference. This led to a modified version of my first Lean lesson learned. Even though something is self-evidently awesome, and even if the boss man makes it a requirement, that doesn't mean that anybody will care. We have to understand the direction and challenge that Lean can help us achieve for it to mean something to us. No matter how much senior leader support we have for Lean, if Lean is just viewed as a shop floor solution, it will always be relegated to afterthought status when it comes to how we run the business. Now, I've been pretty hard on myself with this example. Even though we were fairly clueless, we did achieve some pretty awesome, albeit short-term, results. 
we reduced the number of safety incidents in the 5S areas. This by itself made it worthwhile. We achieved multi-million dollar inventory reductions. We equipped our 14 lean managers with valuable professional skills. So it wasn't all bad. In fact, this experience was a critical first venture into the learning zone that I mentioned earlier. More on that later. 2010 to 2012, getting clinical with lean. When the U.S. housing market collapsed in 2008, I knew my days in manufacturing housing were limited. So I began looking at options for how I could apply my lessons learned with lean to other industries. The editor of this book, Mark Graybon, suggested I consider healthcare. So, at his urging, I went to work for a wonderful pediatric academic medical center in Texas. I went from building trailers to helping transform hospitals. That's a natural progression, right? I figured that since I knew exactly nothing about healthcare, maybe I'd be assigned to an easy first project, far, far away from any clinical units. You know, perhaps implementing a Kanban system in the supply warehouse? Or, hey, maybe another 5S event in the break room. Alas, that was not to be my path. My first assignment was to work with physicians, nurses, and a wide range of other clinicians to completely redesign the value stream for the highest volume pediatric emergency room in the country. No sweat. Fortunately, I had done a lot of reflection on my earlier days practicing lean and learned from my first lean lesson. I knew that if we jumped in first with training and lean tools, we'd never get to the higher purpose of lean. I knew that we had to first understand our overall direction and establish the business challenge that we wanted to achieve with lean. On this project, we achieved this by first engaging the entire ER leadership team and mapping out the ER value stream. We wanted to understand how we delivered care from the patient-slash-family perspective. We wanted the constancy of purpose that comes from putting aside individual priorities and short-term departmental goals and focusing on the needs of the customer. Once we had mapped out the value stream, the challenge started to come into sharp focus. We had identified a tremendous amount of waste in the form of patients waiting for hours on end, nurses and other staff walking miles upon miles to get what they needed, and communication errors being made by clinicians working in silos. We decided to cut that waste in half by the end of the year, and we identified a small handful of metrics to help us measure progress. We had identified a challenge that was measurable, big enough to require strategic thinking, and important to all the leaders of the ER. We now had alignment and direction. But would having alignment and direction create pull for lean? Would the leaders of the ER engage in lean activities to tackle this value stream challenge, or would they resort to other methods? In this one isolated example, the team did start pulling for lean. In fact, we actually achieved a surprisingly high level of engagement with a wide variety of ER leaders and staff. For example, we conducted several multi-day workshops over the course of a few months that were heavily attended by numerous physicians, nurses, administrative leaders, and many others. These events were highly effective for both tackling complex process issues in the ER and for promoting team building amongst the participants. The fast-paced and exciting nature of these events made it easy for our people to want to stay engaged in the process. We had a unifying challenge, we had lean activities to help us achieve that challenge, and the team was on board. We were happy with our level of engagement. Understanding the overall direction or challenge created the tension that we could relieve with lean practice. However, our approach was still flawed. While the event-based approach was great at engaging the big ER team, it wasn't so great at helping us learn what would actually work in the ER. We were coming up with a lot of ideas and plans that looked amazing on the surface, but we didn't know if they'd actually work in the ER. 
Our workshops, while meticulously planned and flawlessly executed by several lean specialists, just weren't great for testing our ideas and assumptions. This led to my second great lean lesson learned. Batching leads to waste, whether working on a production line or doing improvement work. Anybody who's ever read a book on lean or attended lean training has been taught that batching is bad. We even hear that overproduction is the fundamental waste because it leads to most or all of the other wastes. Batching hides defects, creates buffers that allow unreliable processes to hide, etc. Instead of batching queue production, we instead seek to flow value at the pull of the customer. Any lean practitioner knows this. However, we don't always apply this core principle to our own work as lean coaches. When we were facilitating the ER workshops, we were creating big batches of improvement work. We were coming up with dozens of improvement ideas over the course of a few days, vetting them right there in the workshop with our large team, and then coming up with action items and implementation plans to execute those ideas. Sounds good, right? Efficient, right? However, just like on a production line, this efficient batching led to hidden defects and delayed detection of defects. In this case, Many of the defects were in the form of bad assumptions about what would work in the ER. When we went out in the ER to begin implementing the ideas the team came up with, we immediately began getting bogged down. We were a bit confused as to why we were struggling. It's not that the ideas the team came up with during the workshops were impractical. We had all the right people in the room to make informed decisions and achieve broad consensus. We had meticulous change management plans complete with a communication matrix, training modules, town hall sessions, etc., but we were still at risk of a veritable quagmire. As we tried to implement the team's ideas, we ran up against all sorts of unexpected obstacles and started uncovering bad assumptions that we had made during the workshops. Eventually, we realized that we needed to stop trying to implement and start testing. We kind of stumbled our way into doing a series of rapid plan-do-check-act PDCA cycles to help to test every key assumption we had made during the workshops. The moment we switched to this more scientific approach, and, let's be honest, a more humble approach. The obstacles began getting resolved quickly, and we were back on track. Side note. One would think that in healthcare, an ostensibly scientific industry, the need for the scientific method, i.e. PDCA, would have been obvious from the onset of the project. However, in my experience in healthcare, we're great at applying the scientific method to our practice of medicine, but not so much to our practices of business or lean. Lean specialists are some of the biggest offenders, too, as we often fail to practice what we preach. By the end of the project, we had delivered some excellent results. Reduced the average ER patient length of stay by 30 minutes. Reduced the left-without-being-seen rate from 12% to less than 1%. Increased Presgany ER patient satisfaction scores to 99th percentile nationally. Reduced staffing costs by 1 million annually without layoffs. We were happy with the results, but I was personally more satisfied by the insight I had gained about not batching improvement work. This led to a modified version of my second lean lesson learned. Batching leads to waste when doing improvement work. Whenever possible, do improvement work in small, rapid cycles so we can test assumptions and flush out unforeseen obstacles. I didn't realize it at the time, but this lesson learned was perhaps the most pivotal for me, as it opened the floodgates for future lessons learned in my practice of lean. This was when that learning zone mentioned earlier first started to feel like home. It would become an even cozier place over the next few years. 2012 to 2015. Practice makes permanent. 
Once I developed a bias for one piece flow for my own improvement work, e.g. opting for small, rapid cycles of PDCA instead of big workshops whenever possible, it triggered a period of rapid learning for me. This was when I began to understand the power of learning by doing, and it coincided with me reading my mentor Mike Rother's book, Toyota Kata. Upon first reading, the idea that stood out the most was that we don't always know, and often can't know, the path that we'll have to take when doing improvement work. This was eye-opening for me. For my entire adult life, I had taken comfort in being a good planner and knowing the entire playbook in advance. I was a trained project manager, and I was taught in my training to always produce a meticulous project plan before ever getting started with the execution of a project. If I were to get caught off guard on a project, like on the ER project discussed earlier, I would attribute it to not doing a good enough job during the planning phase. More planning, better action item lists, better status updates. But, having gone through the struggles of the ER project, when many of our assumptions were proven wrong and the ideas we developed in these workshops were proven ineffective in the ER, my mindset had already began to shift. I had started to see the difference between technical change and adaptive change. Ronald Heifetz of Harvard University teaches us that there are different types of challenges. Some endeavors, such as changing a hard drive on a computer, are technical in nature. For this type of work, we know the path from A to Z because we have a proven process for doing the task. If we have the right tools and skills, we should be successful the vast majority of the time. Other endeavors, such as transforming the value stream of a pediatric emergency room, are adaptive in nature. For this type of work, we don't know the path from A to Z, even if we like to act like we do sometimes. We may have done an ER transformation at another hospital in the past and are thus tempted to think that what worked there will work here. This is rarely the case, especially in the overwhelmingly human-centered field of healthcare, because of the significant amount of adaptation required for our people and the difficult-to-detect differences between one location and another. On the ER project mentioned earlier, I began to see that, sometimes, no amount of planning is enough to predict all the obstacles that will arise when doing adaptive change. Not until we started doing the rapid PDCA cycles were we able to test our assumptions and flush out unforeseen obstacles. Doing more workshops wouldn't have helped. More testing and experimentation, earlier in the process, is what was needed. In Toyota Kata, we are taught that when it comes to adaptive change, we are not better off doing more planning, better action item lists, or better status updates. Instead, we are encouraged to establish a target condition that we want to achieve and then pursue that target condition iteratively by navigating through the gray zone. Think of the gray zone as the space between where we currently are and where we want to be, and that space is filled with obstacles we can't see, hence the term gray. That gray is like a fog that covers those obstacles, but through rapid cycles of experiments, using PDCA or whatever scientific framework works best, we can work our way around, over, or through those obstacles. We end up zigzagging a lot as we're navigating through this gray zone, and that can feel quite discomforting to folks like myself who take comfort in certainty. But eventually, through enough PDCA cycles, we learn our way to the target condition. That's right, we learn our way to producing results. This was my third great lean lesson learned. If we can learn fast enough, we can overcome adaptive challenges. After seeing how effective the rapid PDCA cycles were on the ER project, I knew breaking big adaptive challenges down into smaller, bite-sized chunks was effective, but I didn't understand why. After reading Toyota Kata a second time and a third time, then attempting to apply the concepts at the hospital where I was working, I began to understand why. It was because of the learning. 
This only became apparent to me after I had done literally hundreds of coaching cycles with dozens of hospital leaders using the Toyota Kata approach. Getting so many repetitions and being exposed to the improvement effects of so many leaders allowed me to notice things I wouldn't have otherwise. Working on a limited number of big improvement projects per year just doesn't have the same effect. What I started to see was that the people having the most success on their improvement endeavors were not the ones with the best ideas or the most well-thought-out implementation plans. Rather, it was the ones who were the best at trial and error. And by that, I mean the ones that didn't get discouraged after a trial produced an error because they were curious and interested in learning, regardless of whether the outcome was what they expected. When I realized this, I began modifying my coaching technique to be more focused on encouraging the hospital leaders to run experiments for the sake of learning. When I did this, people were much more likely to stick to it and not give up after one or two cycles. It was amazing to see people liberated from their fear of failure. After a few hundred more coaching cycles with a dozen or more additional hospital leaders, I finally realized that this concept of learning experiments applied just as well to me as a coach as it did to the folks I was coaching. I realized that my own coaching technique needed to constantly undergo adaptive change and that I would need to navigate through my own gray zones. Fortunately, my neurons had already been trained through repetition to focus on the learning, so I was able to cope with my many, many failures my attempts at coaching produced. That led me to a modification of my third great lean lesson learned. If we can learn fast enough, we can overcome adaptive challenges. Becoming an organization of rapid learners requires a mindset shift that we can achieve through lots and lots of repetition. Repetition. Not classroom training, which, although useful in the right situations, is just batch and queue production applied to learning. Not see one, do one, teach one, which implies that new habits will form just because a new skill has been attained. Not participating in a Kaizen event, unless you're having one on a daily basis. Bless your heart if you are. None of these activities, even if they are useful for other purposes, provide the repetition necessary to rewire neural pathways and form new habits that lead to new ways of thinking. Think of the adage, it's easier to act our way to new ways of thinking than it is to think our way to new ways of acting. Once I realized that repetition was the key to creating rapid leaders who could tackle any adaptive challenge, the whole calculus of lean changed for me. I began seeing opportunity in the smallest of improvement endeavors. I began looking for any excuse I could find to engage a leader in running a rapid experiment for the sake of learning. I started seeing how coaching people to think this way was not just a core competency for a lean coach, but a fundamental behavior of leaders in general. A chain of coaches and learners running experiments daily at multiple levels of the organization can be viewed as the nucleus of a lean management system. If we have this nucleus, this DNA, we can arrive at the rest of the lean organism. That's why, when Mike Rother told me, I'm just going to let you find out for yourself about raising daughters, I thought to myself, enjoy the learning zone. He knew that my learning how to be a parent was going to be tough and fraught with mistakes, but that some of the things I had learned by practicing lean were going to aid me in parenthood. That made me happy and gave me confidence. That also pointed out to me the true value of practicing lean. It can help individuals and organizations eagerly tackle and overcome whatever challenges may arise. But it takes practice. <laughs>